Do you remember, uh, wasn't, didn't there used to be an era where you could save the window configuration on your desktop and it would, like, persist? Or, or you, there's some uh, utility you could use? Or is that, is that some memory that I've invented? Well, the Mac kind of does that. It, you can, it'll save your windows and everything that's open when you shut it down mm. and restart. You know, like I think this was a Unix thing, though. I do think there oh, was like that's an X right. desktop. Like yes. there was some kind of thing. Was it X or KDE? I can't even remember them all. I think there was a window manager that would do something like you're talking about. Exactly. I remember editing a lot of dot files, and mm. you could like yeah, set up. You could set up your yes. windows. Yeah, yeah, that your terminals would open and they'd be in the right place. Yes, this is true. Now, it's probably possible on the Mac, too. Now, listen, I, I got in uh, here to Singapore at, uh, I don't know, 1 a.m. last night and didn't, didn't get asleep till 3, and now it's 8.15, so I'm a little... And I am I had some uh, some Earl Grey tea, and now I'm drinking some instant coffee, which is not so bad, actually. But, uh, so, this may be... I don't know if this topic will put me to sleep or actually feed my interest, but so can one of you explain to me what the difference was between, like, X windows and all the windowing <laughs> managers you would run on top of it? Second part of my question was, who the fuck thought that was a good idea? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'll take this one. Um, so so X windows was the underlying library set, set of libraries that talked to your video system. Mm. And uh, was all the libraries for like draw this on the screen, and that's about where it stopped. Pretty pretty primitive, um, and, and and of course it had all the cool stuff that uh, you know people have mostly forgotten about, like being able to uh, you know send send your content from one machine to another, and you know pop up windows on on remote boxes, and you know that's all cool. Oh but, yeah, we used to do that thing where you would just open up like two thousand windows on someone's machine. <laughs> yes, and that that's I learned some valuable lessons about securing my home directory uh at that <laughs> job. But um but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so that X it was essentially like, you know, the library the set of libraries and, and command line tools to do that. Okay. Uh and then all the window managers would just talk to that API and you know draw, you know, put put borders around the windows that get popped up and allow you to drag them around and, you know, resize them and, you know, all that fun stuff. So, so, so maybe, so yeah. maybe the thinking here, and cause X windows is from like the eighties or some, or X, yep. not X windows, but that whatever X 11, yeah, yeah. X 11. Boy, if this is X 11, I wonder what X one to nine was. Oh, uh, dear. Anyhow, <laughs> I don't mean to be, you know, <laughs> insulting the X community. Uh, so I guess the thinking was uh, there are going to be many people who have opinions about the actual UI and how they do them. They yes. might even differentiate their commercial business based on this, I think. And, no. And, no? That, that never happened? <laughs> that, no, 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 no. You're, you're back in the like Unix and, and mm. Linux, heyday, you know, the early days. Like some, Nobody was thinking like, you know, our, the key to our commercialization strategy is, is being is able to put UI? it through. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, okay. So they Basically just they just thought that people would there would be uh, several different opinions about what the UI layer should look like. So Maybe. we should we should introduce the programmer's most favorite. How do you say it? What's that little box in Hellraiser? Whatever that is, the programmer's most favorite Hellraiser box: a layer of abstraction. So we there you go. Now <laughs> we're talking. We introduce that, and then there will be a blossoming of uh, 
um, window managers. <laughs> yeah, much much like democracy. Why have one system when you can have multiple that people yes. can uh, optimize? Yeah. They they probably thought you know we need to compete with uh, with uh, the Mac and and Windows and let's do it by having a thousand different window managers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then okay. So I want to close out this topic. Uh, well, with with another, the following question, when maybe we can yes. reopen it like like a wound, uh, but like so so then there was all these window managers, and they basically all seem to be like you know the the GUI version of like when I used to log in to like you know BBSs, and it which was like the spray paint version, uh, you know of, of using ANSI art, like they were all like really dark and super cool, like like what's up with that? How did that happen? <laughs> well, pro- probably mostly because, like, rather than I don't know, get to uh, get to the harder problems of you know usability and, and making things work, people fixate on like, well, let's just make it look cool. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm totally guilty of it. You know, I I had a totally customized enlightenment, you know, fourteen enlightenment, of course, 15 and you know sawmill and sawfish and oh, oh god boy. so many old, old open wounds thanks thanks a lot kote well see see <laughs> this, 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 i think there was a benefit nowadays if you're like you know a programmer in your late teens or your early 20s you basically figure out how to configure kubernetes with all your spare time right <laughs> and then maybe you'll even come up with sort of like some product around it or something like that whereas we we had this this uh, energy sink of configuring our our x windows our x desktop so it was much more benign, I think, on the overall industry and uh, and our time. But 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 it does it does seem to live on though because uh, you know the latest release of uh, OS X right it has dark mode which is sort of like to uh, me like the the great great grandfather of one of these features. Somebody's just like yeah because that does seem to be the first thing everyone did with uh, any window manager was like turn everything black, turn your terminals yeah. black. Uh, so so it lives on even now. It lives on with us now. Now Brandon. Did you spend a lot of time configuring? Did you ever use the 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 Unix X window? I don't even know what to call it. Is it yeah, X no, I remember it's more in uh, in college, right? Because you mm-hmm. had to do go because that was where I remember that was sort of like, you know you log into the terminals then, and then it was like yeah, you would want to have it all configured and have all your your uh, uh, terminal windows come up correctly. So I did I did that a lot. Then I don't know, I didn't really I kind of try to skip over as much of the like custom Linux stuff uh-huh. as possible. But then I was just trying to think as we were talking, it's like I want to say Canonical, right? Ubuntu was the one that kind of fixed this finally. It was like, oh, just do this. I think, I mean, and there were lots of attempts. So I, I don't know if it's been solved now, but I when I think of it, it's like, oh, we just installed yeah. Ubuntu and it just like works now. And and they just, I don't know. I don't know if, it, if it's even good, but it's just like, that's what you do. I think, yeah. I think, I think you and John Willis should get a little, like, you know, the, you know, John Syracuse and that other guy had that podcast, Robot or Not. You and John Willis <laughs> should get a little five minute podcast called like Northeasterners Pronounce tech words, and I, I, I think it would be very it would be <laughs> just awesome. that just yeah. just spitting out words. All maybe may, maybe I can host it, and I can be like the Linux operating system uh, commercialized by Canonical, and then and then we can just work through. What, uh, <laughs> it, would just, it would just go from there. Yeah, Call it uh, like tech ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That, that would be fantastic. Now, now listen, I know Baltimore is not in New England, but can you say Northeast or do I have to say Eastern Seaboard? Because it's not South, right? I can't say South. 
Yeah, unfortunately, you just—it's Midwest. Or I'm sorry, not Midwest. 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 I'm, I'm getting it confused now. Gosh, after all this time on this podcast, I'm getting it. Mid, Mid Atlantic. What else? What uh, else? Eastern is... Eastern Seaboard. I guess it's. Uh, yeah. You know, I guess you could, that sort of works, but I don't. That kind of does mean the entire coast of so, the so east, then, east coast. So, so then, also Mid, like, Mid Atlantic would be DC. Is there anything else, Mid Atlantic? Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Virginia, Maryland, DC, a little bit, maybe a little bit of Virginia Beach, right? Uh Like, yeah. yeah. And then it just gets into your like, where does uh, you know, North Carolina is a strange one. I think most, a lot of people would say that's the South, but you know, you just that's I don't know. It depends. People in Raleigh would probably say Mid Atlantic. People like down, down a little bit in like Charlotte would probably say South. Yeah, yeah. you know that part of the uh, the U.S. South is always a little. I, I, I'm not trying to choose my words carefully, but sort of precisely. No, it's not. It's not funky, but it's like a little murky about like what part of the country it's in. It's kind of weird because it's. But not... you know, everyone up there thinks the same thing of Texas. Like Texas uh, is a weird one. If you don't live in Texas, people are like. Some people will say the South. Some people will say yeah. the Southwest. And then when you live in Texas, you just say Texas. Yeah. No, so I, 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 uh, I wholeheartedly. It's a weird agree with thing that analysis. It, 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 we are we are in a weird spot. I mean, well, you know, but like like Alabama and Mississippi, clearly the deep south, clearly the south, right? Yes. No, no ambiguity. But then you got you got like uh, you got like a Virginia and a North Carolina. See, Virginia seems like it would be the south because it's like Virginia. But then I don't know. It's, it's yeah, not... but then you have Kentucky. Like if you look at a map, right? Oh. Kentucky is de- definitively considered the south, but it's really, I mean, very. I mean, it's borders Ohio, right? So it's just really, you know, yeah, which yeah. is the Midwest. So, so when you look at that one, that's another odd one too. And then West Virginia should be in the South, but you know, you know, whatever. Cold country. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, so we got that resolved. You know, this this brings up a topic we didn't really discuss last week, which maybe we've had uh, some time to uh, cogitate on, if that's how you pronounce that. I can be on the podcast too. What was it called, Matt Ray? Tech ideas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. That's what we should rename this podcast. Is that domain name available? Ideas. Uh, ideas. Oh boy. Uh anyhow. So what what so you got you got the IBM buying the red hat. Do you do you think someone's gonna buy Canonical? That, would that even happen? Uh, wow. So so there was uh you know, Canonical uh Shuttleworth put out a, a response to the uh the Red Hat acquisition. Like, you know, hey, those guys rolled and busted. We were the the future anyway. Rolled to, and to busted. Paraphrase. I like that. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of like you know they lost the cloud wars, and uh, Oof. but uh, you know, and, and so then I, I think I saw a Twitter thread on that today. Like you know, well now it's time for uh, somebody to buy Canonical, and then there was much like chuckling at that response. Mm. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, I I think I, I don't. There's not a lot of business to be had there that yeah. you don't already have. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like you know, it's not like somebody at Microsoft goes to the Canonical team and says, you know, hey, can you introduce me to this enterprise account? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, w- whereas you know, Red Hat definitely has penetration that you know, even IBM might not have. Right. So uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. What would be thirty-five billion? Yeah. What would be the motivation? Because I always wonder, you know, because like obviously last week talked a lot about it, and you know, kind of the red, the rel licensing business. Like, 
I kind of feel like that business is fine. That business will just run along like rails. I mean, it's kind of its own thing at this point. It just sort of, but uh, is there a, a company that's just like, oh, wait a minute. Now that that's owned by IBM, n- not only do we just like it, but we just like it to the point that we're not just going to do a, a deal with Canonical, but we, we actually feel like we have to own them. Like, I, I just, yeah. it doesn't feel yeah. like it's that urgent to anybody. It's like, yeah, you know, you could do a deal with Canonical if you wanted, but but more likely, it's probably the rel thing will just work out. It'll be fine. Like, I don't think anything's going to change there. Yeah, you know, you kind of, Canonical is a, uh, uh, I mean, it's interesting in all sorts of ways, but in in a way that I think I frequently think about and we fre- frequently talk about it is, it is almost uh, as pure an open source company and business model, which I say in a weird tone to indicate what I'm kind of thinking about here in the sense of they, uh, I don't know, they basically support Ubuntu, right? Which we can put that word, as I said in the first episode of Tech Ideas. Uh, but, uh, and and yet I don't think they really like commercialize it very successfully, but man, they sure, but Ubuntu sure has like spread everywhere by virtue of it being uh, free. And I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe uh, Canonical collects like some interesting revenue uh, through it, but it it does seem like the uh, the pureness of their caring about open source precludes them making a ton of money. I think, which which is kind of like nice if you're all into open source stuff. But then it's also it kind of proves the uh, there can never be another Red Hat sort of situation. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know Canonical's business very well. I don't follow. You know, even when I followed this space, I would say that uh, my team covered everything above the operating system and then below actual applications. So I don't really know about uh, <laughs> operating systems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and and you know, Canonical like like Red Hat has you know tried to move up into the stacks above it. You know, the OpenStack and uh, now Kubernetes. And they had and, that client you know, stuff too, right? On phones. Oh God! See that? I mean, that that's part of the reason people have trouble taking them seriously is they they dabble in things like phones and televisions and you know probably watches or you know who knows what else. Mm. Um, but then, you know, well, and and you brought up X, right? They they had a they were going to rewrite X eleven and spent a fair amount of time and effort on a project called uh, called Wayland that. After I don't know five six years, they finally just like abandoned it. Is it Way um, Waylan or Waylan? Oh, uh, I think it's. Well, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to refer. We'll have to call up John Willis and get his pronunciation. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we had like a little interstitial <laughs> segment that was like <laughs> just like the John the John Willis minute? He would be yeah, a great sure. Andy Rooney at the end of the show. <laughs> oh jeez, we we call him up and he's like. Who's this? Wait, why? And then that's that's exactly. just the audio we play. Exactly. You ever notice the length of a toilet paper sheet in America? It's three inches. In Europe, they make it four inches. I'm not sure what's going on with them that they need it longer. <laughs> I should measure uh, what it is here in uh, Singapore and the rest of Oceania. I wonder if they've got uh, similar well, things. And, and they've got the, the electronic toilets over there in Japan. Oh boy. Right? Man, they, oh, the one oh. I have it to go to go super interstitial, uh, and, and the, the the one uh, uh, the one here in, in this uh, this JW Marriott Singapore South Beach, which is quite a mm. name. Wow, fancy! You you walk up to the toilet and it just opens up itself. It's a little it's a little scary now. <laughs> now equally, distur- oh no, that just sounds horrible. <laughs> I should make it's a like video. something out of Alien. You know, it's like. <laughs> 
unfurls and it's like, yeah. give me your deposit. <laughs> Ready right? to receive. Anyways, oh, uh, no. I should take a video of that. But the, the equally, discon- well, even more disconcerting thing is like when you're in that twilight of your sleep about to go to sleep and maybe the five minute interval has uh, has ended and it closes the toilet, it like beeps. And it makes just enough of a rustling noise. I'm sure this is a sound maybe you're familiar with, Matt Ray. It makes a sound that's that's uncannily familiar to uh, housekeeping is trying to come clean your room, uh, even though you're still in it and you forgot to put the do not disturb sign out. Like that's that's never a good a good feeling to have. But uh, yeah, anyway, so man, the toilets over here uh, in Singapore, Korea and, and Japan, as most people probably know, out of control. I appreciate a warm seat, but like... They really like it's. It'll be cool, <laughs> but I don't need a camera down there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, then then back. Yeah, they were going to rewrite the uh, the windowing system. Lots of, lots of ambitions there. But then, so then the reason like it's sort of like the most. Let, let me make up a category that is probably incorrect. Just if you ran the numbers, if there were numbers to run, but it seems like the most successful open source company that makes the least money possible you know, given that success, right? Like not, not the least money possible as in zero, but it's sort of like given the ubiquity of Ubuntu everywhere. Right. Cause it basically is yeah. what runs the cloud, so to speak in the public and private sense. Right. I don't know. Maybe the Susie people would like send me some information, which would be fine, but it's, <laughs> and, and then, and then of course there's also re- you can track the revenue from Red Hat of people who want to run uh Red Hat. And then I guess you've got CentOS, but I haven't looked at the breakdown in a while, but last time it seemed like Ubuntu and Ubuntu derivatives were insanely widely used in cloud. Anyways, so whether it's the leader or not, so that would sort of like, and again, this is all open source dynamics. You would be like, ah, what if we could monetize that? And then you're like, what if we didn't? And then, <laughs> then you get this, uh, you get that, that, that ranking I was talking about where it seems like very, very successful to kind of vaguely allude to, to sort of like Trump cadence but uh but not not monetarily successful yeah yeah i mean well, go back uh a couple episodes of i i interviewed uh dustin kirkland on the software defined interviews and you know he's the was uh a vp of product over at canonical mm. and worked there for a while and so he actually tells the story though that like the company um when it was first opened like the first bug or whatever system they were using was you know basically opened up that like you know windows is the dominant uh, desktop platform. So it's sort of, and he says that was sort of the mission, right? That's the the reason they opened that. And then, you know, they just, I don't know, just a couple of years ago, they, they closed that out. So it's like, if you kind of go back and think about where they started, right, it was, let's be dominant, like a desktop. This, this desktop thing, right? Uh-huh. And then it, and then I think he goes on to talk about how ultimately they got involved with Amazon, which that would seem like the most likely acquirer, but then it's like, it's already there, right? So I don't know what, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. there is a that, that, and then, and then he, and then he kind of just goes on to talk about like how, kind of how they, how they, how they embrace the cloud as well. So this kind of, but it kind of leads you back to like, why does, like, who's motivated to own it? Cause Amazon has it, Microsoft yeah. doesn't seem like they would really, like, why would they do it? And then it seems very unlikely Oracle would be involved for like, Lots of reasons, and then you see as you work down that list, it's just you know it seems like it's it seems more valuable as independent mm. more than yeah. anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Amazon's you know they've they've moved on to Amazon Linux. You know they they have their own thing, um, which you can run on prem now, uh, and you know they're slowly getting into that. Um, they don't run it on their internal stuff. Amazon uh, Linux is that is that built from uh, from now soft and cuddly 
uh, Linus's just straight straight branching cores? No, it, it it used to be it used to be a Red Hat fork. Oh, or, I see. Um, Maybe unbreakable either Red Linux. Hat or Fedora, and now it's now it's even more like separate, like mm-hmm. uh, and and it's a, a rolling release. So you know, every month there's a new release of it. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's it's uh, they have no aspirations for desktop, right? Uh, at least not you know with Linux. Um, Microsoft, you know, they've got uh, they've got plenty of Linuxes to choose from. Um, and they have their own operating system. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, then, why, so then maybe my whole premise it has was was at some point true, but like has sort of evaporated. Like maybe, although although Ubuntu is used in like Docker images and all that shit, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I think, no, no, not, what, not what, even what, that much. I, I should I mean, find just... I should find uh, Linux market share. The problem is you got to find it by installation, not uh, not by uh, revenue. But that's the thing, like, like, you know, this whole move to tools like Docker, nobody wants a full-blown Linux Docker image. You know, I mean, they might start there. You know, they might start with like, you know, oh, I'm going to do an app git install and, you know, oh, look, you know, my Docker image is only 800 megs. And then, you know, the next batch of people come by and they're like, wait, that's still pretty huge. You know, why don't we, why don't we use something small like, uh, like, you know, an Alpine and then, you know, and then you have you know, the even more hardcore people who are like, you know, Alpine's kind of big. Uh, that's kind of where tools like, you know, Habitat live, where they're like, why do we have a whole OS here? You know, we, we don't need we don't need any of this junk. Um, I mean, so their their market share is not growing. You know, it, it's not like, you know, and, and I had big hopes for 2018, but it's still not the year of the Linux desktop, right? So... Um, <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> um maybe maybe IBM can make it happen but uh I don't I don't see it. Mm. Well, yeah, anyways. <laughs> in- interesting uh you know one one day one day we should uh, we should get a maybe on interviews we should get a panel of uh former canonical workers and ask them what that's like. That would be a fun book. I'll write that after my son WTF book. Yeah. What's what's up we, with we, canonical? We get John Willis. Yeah. Uh, get get Simon Wardley. Oh, uh, Simon get, Wardley. Yeah, he'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, so he. I mean, he's he he's very uh, public about you know taking credit for Kanana for Ubuntu on uh, AWS, right? He's mm. like, you know, Red Hat sat on their thumbs and and you know we went for it. Yeah. Um, he's like, and, I made, and, I, made a, a, I made a map and I figured out we should talk to Amazon. <laughs> All maps led to Seattle at that point. <laughs> well, maps led to the cloud. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. You know, I, I guess one last thing. It seems like now disabuse me of this this uh, this reckoning. It seems like there is no uh, if you're in the Ubuntu world, there is no sort of like missing piece that, that you get if, if you like give money canonical. Right. It's just sort of all there. You don't like there's no uh, nothing to buy, so to speak. Right. Well, the, I'm sh- yeah, they definitely have. Uh, commercial offerings um but uh, it's it's more like you know support contracts and right. you know, professional services and that kind of stuff i love a support um, contract <laughs> and, and and they have they have like a, a an equivalent to red hat satellite um mm. sky uh I'm drawing a blank on the name um spacewalk something like that sky sky registry <laughs> yes <laughs> mm. yes but uh yeah 
Yeah, well, don't don't ever forget uh, indemnification, right? That's like the holy trinity of these open source companies: uh, support, services, and indemnification. Yes, you can sell that if people want to buy it. Was that was no that one really, uh, was that, no one really wants to buy it? Was that tested out by when that uh, that that? Whoa, man! I always forget. I forget the name of it. But remember, there was that Unix thing that was suing everyone. Did did yeah. indemnification? Susie? Or no? Is it not Susie? It was uh, no. That, it had oh, some sporty it. name. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. uh, what, yes. was uh, what, did did that kind of prove out that indemnification was a good idea? Like, did IBM and Sun like? Well, that wasn't Sun. Who was it? Wasn't IBM on the side of being sued there? But somehow yeah. they, they protected like the their customers from it, right? I don't know. Yeah, they 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 got it was IBM versus uh, Novell Sco. Sco. Sco, that's right. Sco Linux. Yes, there you go. Good mm. call, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it did get resolved. It, it seemed like it was just like a fud thing. You know, it's just another way to try to sell. But then when someone actually filed a lawsuit, it didn't really seem to go anywhere. Mm. So, so maybe the indemnification is, uh, you know, it's it's the the uh, the broken leg of that th- of that three legged stool. <laughs> well, and 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 you know, Microsoft joined the Open Innovation Network recently, so. Right. Who's left? You know, it's like, you know, there's, there's no the the open source boogeyman is is gone. Oh yeah. 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 Well, you got to walk through all three of them, right? This is why it seems like it just failed business models. Like, well, support's like, well, I'll just search the internet. We'll figure it out, right? Like, all yeah. the answers are out there. And then services is like, <laughs> well, we'll just hire some people. Like, we we have plenty of those guys that we know. We'll just hire them. And then, yeah, we talk to the lawyers, and they don't think it's a big deal. So then you're just kind of left with like, well. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should build some proprietary software. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. always the answer. Now, now I keep saying well, this is the last thing, but like, could I mean, is there is there any precedent for like the committers on a project like going on strike? Like, because that would be like like let's say you've got Ubuntu, right? And everyone everyone agrees this is like a great thing that we all need to use, and then uh, and then you got like what maybe fifty people who can commit to it. I don't know. Maybe maybe a hundred. Like, would they ever just, like, stop committing and, like, bring the project to a halt because they didn't like people? Well, I mean, you, you, the, we've talked about it, you know, over the years of, you know, various politics and falling outs and that kind of stuff. I mean, the source is open, right? The whole point is, you know, somebody can't take it hostage, you know, because they don't want to work on it. You just, you know, there's lots of examples of, you know, well, I don't like, you know, this person said something asinine or they wanted to change the the le- license um so not really like you know oh i'm going on strike it's pretty much like well i'm not working on that anymore for whatever reason Mm. or we don't like the guy who is working on it you know for whatever reason um yeah or or like like, or like i'm gonna retire and go write a file system or something like that (laughs) but i think forking is what you're talking about like forking is really the nuclear option, right? And that can happens every once in a while, and yeah, usually yeah, or, it works or, out. Or, but you don't or, really see like I don't think yeah. like stopping work on it. It's more like I'm going to fork it, and then you know people get upset, um, and then sometimes it gets worked out, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't know. I've, no, I've never heard of like a project that was had momentum where people were like, "I'm just not working on it," and that actually did anything. Yeah. So. Well, <laughs> there was uh, the Ricer FS file system where uh, the guy killed his wife. <laughs> And so that really just, whew, that that stopped all development, and uh, uh, and now we all moved on to you know uh, XFS and ZFS and all that fun stuff. Yeah, file systems, love yeah. those. Yeah. Well, let's say let's say uh, uh, 
Maybe maybe <laughs> we should talk about some other topic to kind of buffer <laughs> against. How about, how about we pay the bills and uh, talk about uh, this episode that's, being sponsored by Solar Winds? That's right. That's right. I was going to say, let's say, no matter how many Ubuntu's or and uh, and and Red Hats and CoreOS's and other things you're you're uh, you got under your control, you don't want to look at them all at once. That's like that's like if there was a big flat wall in a store, like a Toys R Us. And every single item, including the duplicates, were displayed out on that big flat wall. It'd be hard to choose what to to buy. It'd be kind of like that Senate in Star Wars, as I recall. But let's oh, say yeah. you got all that stuff. How how one of you tell me how you might consolidate that down into something that was manageable? Yeah, well, this week uh, this episode's sponsored by SolarWinds, and this week they want you to know about their DevOps tool, App Optics. Today, there's a divide between application and infrastructure health metrics and the lack of unified dashboards, alerting, and management. With SolarWinds App Optics, you get a bird's eye view across all your resources on a single pane of glass, but can also drill quickly into the details. App Optics includes built in integrations for over 150 cloud first applications, instant visibility into server and infrastructure performance, robust custom metrics dashboards, and automated, automated API, APM request tracing. It's uh, SaaS hosted, it's easy to manage and budget friendly. Over 275,000 customers trust SolarWinds for the performance data they need. And App Optics lets developers and operations get back to doing what they love delighting users learn more and try it for 14 days just go to appoptics.com slash sdt and uh matt cote are you guys going to aws reinvent probably not but if you were going to aws reinvent in las vegas SolarWinds wants you to know they're going to be in booth 608. You can go by. You can uh, meet up with the head geeks. You can see appoptics firsthand and learn about the complete DevOps suite of products that provide unmatched visibility across uh, user experience, metrics, traces, and logs. So go, I want everybody who's at uh, AWS reInvent to go to the SolarWinds booth and tell them your friends from Software Define Talk sent you. And we thank them for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, and try them out. It should be fun. Every, everyone likes a, 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 a sort of like, a, you know, seeing everything. I was going to say mom, but I forgot the, the phrase. I always forget that. But, uh, well, this week, uh, earlier this week, you know, I, I think uh, a company I'm familiar with, is VMware, uh, announced that it was – did, did they close the deal or is it not, not closed yet? I always forget these things. I won't wait for an uh, answer. I'm just going to go I, on. But, but uh, <laughs> they, they, while I was gallivanting about here in Oceana, they, uh, they said they were, they were buying and or bought Heptio, uh, which uh, I think Brandon and I discussed in some previously uh, members-only podcast, right? Like a press release from them. Is that right? Yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah, it's in the show notes. So everyone should go listen to our, our early take on Heptio and see if we were right or wrong. So, so, so listen, I was taught by uh, Senior Vice President Dave Johnson, who was a fun educational person to work for back when I did M&A, to not, uh, not talk about acquisitions where you eat, so to speak. So I don't have much to say on that topic, mm. just because it would be weird and awkward. Uh, but more broadly speaking, I'll, I'll ask one question and then one of you can talk about the details. Does this, does this mean we are in, I'm leaning over like Larry King. I have no suspenders though. <laughs> But does it, does this mean we are going to see a uh, snatching up 
of all the Kubernetes startups out there? What's 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 y'all's uh, wet fingers in in the wind on this? What what's your feel? I don't think there's a whole lot of relevant ones left. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, they they Microsoft grabbed Deus last year, or, and oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, um, and they hired away Brendan Burns, and then um, you know, Docker is obviously still out there. Uh, oh yeah, that, that that Docker like uh, you know spiral bound iBanker notebook that's looking pretty good now. You got <laughs> you got you got some uh, a, a beta multipliers from uh, Red Hat. You know some yeah, estimates. Yeah. I bet I bet four or five ones throwing out some estimate for Heptio and other stuff. And uh, DS. What about uh, Mesosphere? Good. Like, are we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're not they're not really. I mean, they are, but they aren't. I know they're data center operating system of the future, and they sort of abstract them away from Kubernetes in some ways. But it seems like that one's always speculated that Microsoft will uh, buy that. I don't I don't know why. Yeah, I just but, feel but like I, people say that a lot. I I, I think the problem um for for mesosphere is they muddy the water by not being a pure kubernetes story right they've got their own thing right the mesos is is you know a bigger a bigger platform than just kubernetes and right now it seems like we're in a very let's just sort out what the heck kubernetes is and you know get all the Istios and envoys and everything else working in this and like Kubernetes and, and Mesosphere is like, Hey, we got this other stuff that, Oh yeah, it touches that ecosystem, but there's a whole bunch of other things over here. We do, you know, but so it, it seems like this is where we are with Kubernetes in general. There's like, I said this many times, I think on this podcast, there's like what Kubernetes actually is today, which is just container orchestration, right? It's just that. But then there's like what people write about it. And it's sort of like this, you know, it gets bigger and bigger when you read the articles. It does more and more. Kubernetes mm-hmm. is going to do. In fact, I even saw, you know, in uh, O'Grady's piece. You know, he sort of, you know, kind of talks to like it is the container. Right? It just seems to. Be, it's like kind of words start to matter here, where it's like, wait a minute, Kubernetes today is just this very, you know, sm- relatively contained piece of functionality. But then there's all these sub projects that I think people just equate with it, right? And then people sort of just project onto it, like. It does all this other stuff, which it may will. I mean, this is what I always talk about. Is like there's this vision of what this Kubernetes platform could become, right. uh, but it's still like so undefined that like all these companies that are buying things, like they're just going to have to be part of the race to build out, like if you will, all the other the development platform, all the other tools and systems to really make it a full blown platform. I mean, to me, that seems to be what's happening here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if 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 you want to make it a platform you're like you know what? we're going to make an opinionated version of kubernetes um what if you're really wrong or really different from the way the rest <laughs> what, of the what if you have bad goes? opinions <laughs> right <laughs> well i i mean i'm not saying there's anything wrong with mesosphere but i'm just saying like it's got a fair amount of vc it's mm-hmm. a pretty big company you know do you want to do you think you can sway steer the rest of things towards it in response to, you know, like, like Red Hat was, you know, even with CoreOS and, and OpenShift, they're still fairly vanilla, you know, st- staying close to, that's the problem with Kubernetes, you know, by releasing every six months or, or, you know, the fast cadence they have, like, you can't stray too far from its core. Yeah. Well, but go back to like, you know, the, you know, I guess, could, I think you're talking about there's really interesting, I mean, like, what is the platform? Because like, I know Kote probably doesn't want to comment too much on, but you have, you know, PCR Pivotal Cloud Foundry, right? That's sort of embracing, 
you know, a layer of Kubernetes and you have OpenShift, right? They're, if you will, I don't know, kind of replatforming. You know, I guess you listen to the pod CTL guys and, you know, they're kind of walking through it. And it's like, you know, they're kind of all like all of these things. And then VMware's acquisition here, right? They're all kind of trying to figure out like, yeah, at the bottom here, we're going to start with Kubernetes, but then we're going to build stuff on top of it. And I think it all looks starts to look a little different, right? As as everyone's kind of working through what makes sense, like what doesn't, like do you wrap in Istio? Do you wrap in these other things? And then what other, you know, and then what are these other platforms that have some traction? Like what do they do? So it, you know, I guess when you kind of get to that that layer, right? It's it just starts to look really messy, like as to like what a developer is supposed to do, like day, on the third day, right? They're like, I'm building something, I'm building my REST APIs, and I'm kind of putting in containers, but like, now exactly how do I make it work? It's like, now you're going to have to really go dive into each one of these platforms and figure out what makes the most sense for you. I, I, I like the uh, uh, core activity of developers, build REST APIs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need three months for that. <laughs> Which is probably, <laughs> but I was like today. I just happened to be at a conference today, and I was uh, listening. So there was uh, a talk on container security, and then there was a talk on uh, like basically that's what it was. It was like rebuilding the API, right? It was like something like uh, I don't know. It was like untangling your API or something like that. And it's like mm. there's kind of like no overlap. It's just interesting because it's like there's no overlap between the talks. The guy just kind of gets up and gives like the standard. I mean, a good talk. It was actually a very good talk. But just like, hey, like you may have this old SOAP API. Here's how you can make it restful. And here's some things to consider. And, you know, all of it. It was very good. It was if you hadn't heard that before, it was like, yeah, it was really good. But, you know, not at no point is he talking about a container or, you know what I mean? Not nothing, nothing about it. Right. And then the next talk is about container security. And it's interesting, but it's just like there's this huge divide, right? It's like, well, like what is like what did the guy that finished the REST API work with? Like, what did he actually do? And how is this relevant to container security? So um I still I don't know. I just feel like that's like a just a real confusing story right now. Mm. Well, so so uh uh you know, I I've I've I was having some people uh re-explain it to me because I'm always losing track. But so what what is it that Heptio does exactly? <laughs> Just, just you know, for the sake of uh, the listeners, not not what they not what they do for listeners, but like what uh what like what's their business look like? And I, yeah. I don't. This seemed to be, I, you know, I read. You know, it's funny. I thought for sure Matt was going to jump in there. Uh, I don't. You know, it. it you know, that I think I think the O'Grady piece, or I think he's the one who says is like they're not quite a product company and they're not quite yeah, they're a not service quite company, which is like. Which is both uh, not helpful, but it's the best description of it I've read. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of right from what I could tell. So um, it didn't seem like, you know, you would, it seems like they're just making things a little bit easier to use, but it was really sold as services and support, which granted is not a, a very clear answer, but it's the best I can come up with. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they had, you know, the, the key for them was like, oh, you know, they've got the, the, you know, two of the founders of, of Kubernetes are here and people kept saying, well, you know, where's the distro? And they're like, ah, you know what, we're actually going to make sure that you have a good time on Azure and Google and AWS. And if you run it on-prem, we'll help you with that. And like, oh, so you're going to have your own on-prem distro? Like, well, we'll just run mainline and make sure that that, you know, is easy to use. And like, where's the products, right? And then, you know, they... They've introduced. Uh, they have a tool called Buoy um, that is like a health check for you know federated Kubernetes, and but it's not like 
you know, it, it, it's not, I don't know if, if I'm a, a large enterprise, I'm not thinking, you know, now I have my single pane of glass and, you know, role-based access controls hooked up to my LDAP or something. It's just another thing for making Kubernetes easier as an operator. What you're and, saying is it's no SolarWinds app optics. <laughs> uh, sure. I'm saying that. <laughs> But it does this has the flavor of kind of like one of these Google Apple acquisitions where there is a company behind it, but they're like, hey, this company has the smart people that we need for like AI or for self-driving cars or for some custom microprocessor architecture thing that they need. And so that part, I guess, makes I mean, if you just make it as simple as possible, it's like, hey, these are the guys that know the most about it. VMware clearly has some plans to build build their own platform or expand their platform around it. Um, so maybe they had to pay a lot of money, but in their mind, it's like, you know, if this gives us the guys that like, you know, are the foundation for building our platform, then it's probably worth it. Um, even if it's a ton of money, because certainly you're not buying it for the pro, you know, <laughs> as Steve O'Grady says, you're not buying it for the product or the service, which they don't seem to have. Um, you're just kind of buying it for the intellectual property in this case. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm sure, um, you know, I've, got a few friends there and if we we poked at them we could probably hear things like you know yeah they're trying to lock everyone in for you know multi-year golden handcuffs kind of things um mm-hmm. you know because they 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 i think would they have like 60 people something like that and you know that's what i read. finding finding yourself 60 kubernetes people you know probably 30 or whatever but um you know that's not easy to do right now well, I'm sure, you know, Coach, I'm sure you don't want to comment on it, but uh, having worked at many companies where something like this happens, like I, I look forward to the uh, VMware pivotal, uh, you know, joint positioning, uh, trade show, keynote presentation where they explain to us how it's all going to work together. It's, uh, I'm sure the slides are being created right now. So uh, that is quite the challenge for any company. Well, there, like, there, is, there, is, stuff. there is an official blog post from a co-host of one of my other podcasts, Pivotal Conversations. You should subscribe to it. It's very difficult to put out episodes when I'm out here on the uh, the road. We should really re- replace that with Out on the Air or something. I don't know. But uh, anyways, from Richard Sirotter, and he goes over. Uh, I-, I wouldn't say it's exactly what you're saying, but it's sort of like the, uh, the pivotal take on things. I'll put that in the show notes, or you can just go over to, I'm sure, pivotal.io slash blog and, and read all about it if you're into that. So Yeah, so, I mean, are, are they going to, like, dice up Heptio and, like, half the people end up at Pivotal and half will get VMware emails <laughs> and, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, that sounds, it's, you know, it's funny. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I just think it's funny. I've, um, like, CA just finished this acquisition, or sorry, Broadcom finished the acquisition of CA, and they're, like, selling off different parts of it. So I had that same kind of, you know, metaphor in my mind. It's like, well, there's just some guy with a spreadsheet. He's like, well, you get half and you get half and then everybody's unhappy. So uh, that would be, uh, uh, it would be funny to see that happen. But I'm sure that's not happening here. <laughs> do, do they, do, over at IBM, do they still do that thing where you get like at us.ibm.com instead of just ibm.com? Not for the, uh, it stopped like last, I can't remember. It stopped relatively recently. So now, now if you're, get hired on it's just ibm.com oh that's nice that's nice 
Because, you know, a three-part domain name, that's just, like, that's so, like, 1988 or something. <laughs> like, that's just... I saw I saw well, one recently that uh, gallivanting around with, they had... I think this was in Korea. They had that... Remember that dot .co? Like, it would be, you know, like, uh, my, my, my fun oh. cloud dingle dot .co dot .kr. Like, yes. at some point, people thought that CO was a good idea, which... which uh, that was fun. Is whoever you, whoever was doing that really like had this hierarchical mindset, and then and the next thing you know, you you got like dot barber and dot pizza as as uh, <laughs> you know TLDs, and you're just like, eh, fuck all that shit, right? Like, it's just uh, that's 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 a sign of the times. I don't know what those times are. Is it a harbinger of good or bad times? Beats me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll you know on on a uh, a level that that I more feel comfortable commenting on, even though I'm sure there's 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 more fun stuff to say about buying a Kubernetes company. But you're reading through Stephen O'Grady's post. This is a, a it provides a classic focal point for the overall developers or kingmakers red monk theory. Like, and and I think he uh, he goes into that sort of well as as far as developer interest driving uh, large shifts in uh, I guess tectonic no pun intended like shifts in uh, in in various infrastructure IT stuff which which I guess I mean that's part of the uh, genuine and kind of like comical wonderment we tend to have around Kubernetes is like oh these developers they sure do like the Kubernetes make it important. But it is, I mean, if you're interested in uh, a short version of his typical thing, you can see him kind of wheedling his way through that in, in his post. And, you know, who doesn't like being told that developers are the kingmakers more than developers? <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's a good, a good audience that you have there. So also, I think, uh, well, do you all have more to say on, uh, on VMware and Heptio? Not really. No. <laughs> No, we're waiting for the slides. We'll just wait for the slides. Mm. That's all yeah. going to work together. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't really, I didn't really look around, but it would be nice to see uh, some slides on things. That's always fun. Yeah. You know, there, this was going into our, uh, our little feedback section. Uh, a couple of people commented that I built up that number one slide of, of 2018 that IBM won way too much. And, you know, I, I can see that. I can see that I got so excited about that slide that I started to, uh, you know, invent awesomeness in my head. But I think that was a good slide. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if, 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 if you, the collective yous, if you will, uh, have seen a lot of tech vendor slides, but they are not that exciting. You cannot really, like, just uh, exegesize, so to speak, slides that much. So maybe the bar is super low, like that kind of low where, like, you walk around and hit your ankle on it. Uh, and so whenever there's something that you hit sort of like your, your thigh area or even your belly, it just gets really exciting that someone's uh, done that slide. So I don't know. Just revisit the slide. I want to I be in defense of the slide. Revisit the slide with that. See, like, see like now this slide versus the inscrutably stuck-in-the-90s carpet decor in Tokyo, which do I like better? That may be not be good because, <laughs> like, it's fun to see, like, late-90s stuff. This reminds me. Do y'all remember those, like, in the 80s, those airbrushed, uh, chromed-out robot women? Is that is that only me who remembers that? Because I brought that up with Tasty Meets Paul, and he was like, I do not know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, if you go to Google and you type in airbrush chrome robot woman, right? 
you and and maybe maybe it's because because go uh, google knows me oh yeah yeah see see airbrush chrome robot women and and you'll see the one you'll see one in like a pink one piece bathing suit right very very like heavy metal or maybe that's uh what do they call that clothing that's just like the top t-shirt thing that you wear as like night stuff anyways uh that that was like a big thing like a heavy metal sort of thing. Anyways, that's uh, I think it was a Japanese artist who uh, perfected that and did the most mm. of it. Yeah, so it was a no, good slide. Don't, don't that's see much I'm of that saying. anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a good slide. Uh, well, also, uh, the, I'm I'm now in Singapore, so if if you're around and I publish this in time, you can still come on Monday to see the spring tour we have there. All kinds of great talks about spring and uh, Kubernetes from uh, Tasty Meets Paul, uh, and then I'm going to be speaking at a meetup uh monday night that's the 12th i think and i actually have a, a new talk that i'll be giving i was thinking maybe i should record me rehearsing it but it's about the uh the culture section of of the little book that i've been working on and trying to figure out what uh i don't really i'm not I, I realized in studying like devops culture that the issue that i have the issue the thing that i find lacking from a lot of devops culture stuff is it it's kind of stops at being descriptive uh, both descriptive of like you know you got your Westerios model of things, and then uh, and then it's sort of descriptive of like you should be like nicer and empathetic and things like that. And I must admit, it, well, it doesn't get to like, but how? Like, what should I do there? I, I it's I, I kind of know why now because it's kind of impossible to find out how you actually do things unless you are the actual people doing it. In which case, you have very little time to prognosticate about what you should be doing in DevOps. This is a, this is a problem in the thought lording world is uh, the people who are doing things and know the stuff uh, don't really have time to be the people telling you about it. So, well, yeah. So, so there is uh, that, that does tie into um, a recommendation that came in through our, our Slack channel. Um, the uh, humble books bundle uh, O'Reilly's put their DevOps books in the, uh, in there. So this is a good chance to pick up, a whole lot of reading, uh, but uh, the effective DevOps book um, is mostly on the like how culture, how to do culture stuff. Um, yeah. So wow. uh, out of the books they have, it's you know it's the most cultural one. I mean, they you know they've got, they've got some SRE stuff, but everything else is fairly technical. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, w- I was I was rescrolling through that book. You know how uh, you know how uh, let's see. I get them mixed up. You know how Mark Schwartz's most recent book, A Seat at the Table, has sort of like the uh, Git abstract version of it that he wrote? Like there's like the full-length version and then there's this great summary version uh, that you can get. Like I think I need that for the effective DevOps book because I was scrolling through it, you know, I read it before, and I just kind of got lost in like its its sheer volume, which for someone like me who just can't stop talking about things probably is uh, uh, annoyingly ironic, but... I don't know. I need I need a summary of that stuff because it's it's very it's very dense, but it does give you the feeling that like if you were like a traditional sort of uh, mindset, I think I think they would say fixed mindset, which is just a a lovingly totally not insulting way to describe someone's intellectual capacity and what they're doing. But you know, you got your fixed mindset. If you were that kind of person, it might be expansive to read this and figure out what's going over there at Sparkly Core. But I think a summary would be awesome. Maybe I should write a summary or not. But uh, yeah, you're right. That is a good sort of like, uh, uh, it's almost like a, 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 is discursive the right word? It's like, a, it's like a novel length version of a manual kind of going on with what happens. Man, it's thorough. 
I'll tell you what, in depth. So, uh, are you going to be gallivanting around anywhere after I'm in DevOps, Belgium, uh, giving a talk on November 15th, Matt Ray? <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm flying to Tokyo next week. Uh, I'll be there uh, the night of the 13th uh, through the 15th, but mostly uh, working with customers and uh, not speaking at any events. But, you know, if you're in Tokyo and you listen to the show, let me know mm. and uh, maybe we'll catch a beer or something. Um, Find yeah, a Chrome right. robot. Find, <laughs> they're in they're in Tokyo. Um, no, I, I I'm taking it easy on the events and doing real work. That's good. <laughs> I was thinking I should do that, but despite that, also on December sixth, I'll be in uh, in Warsaw at a meetup. I think I'm going to give my enterprise architect talk because I realized I don't know if if you all have experienced this, but in Europe, there's a lot of enterprise architects and they seem to yeah. outsource a lot of the other functions. So when you go in and your whole pitch is that, you know, all those people that you outsource, you want to arrange them into product teams and, uh, and you forget to mention what enterprise architects do. You don't, it's a, people don't like that. So I need to, I need to, uh, introduce what it is enterprise architects actually do. And hopefully there's a, uh, genuine meaningful function they have in the DevOps, uh, Kubernetes world. It seems like there should be because otherwise, man, that's depressing for them and all their knowledge. Uh, and then also uh, on December 12th and 13th, we are having a spring tour in Toronto. And uh, I tried to wiggle out of it to focus on work. But it looks like I still need to go to it to, uh, I don't know, MC it or something like that, which is exciting. But who doesn't like Toronto? Great place. So do we have any, any, uh, any show administrativa, Brandon, to go over? Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, uh, sadly, you can no longer buy a T-shirt. But uh, we have a little promotion going, so any I will send you a free T-shirt for anyone that is willing to uh, write us an iTunes review uh, and need need to be in the United States. So sorry for everyone outside the world. I I, I just can't uh, manage international <laughs> shipping. But if you uh, leave us an iTunes review and then you send me an email at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, uh, send me your T-shirt size, tell me your preferred color, which is light blue, gray, or black. Tell me the username that you use to write the review and send me your postal address. Then I will send you one of what are now truly limited edition uh, T-shirts. So it would be great to get some reviews because, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence of iTunes, it, it requires reviews. So the better, the more reviews, it really helps us out. So I really appreciate it. And I know everyone on podcast asks for reviews. So I want to make it worth your while. And hopefully you'll enjoy one of these T-shirts. And then we got a couple other items. We got a, we actually got a uh, some great feedback this week. So Jay from Ohio wrote in. He asked for uh, sticks uh, six stickers for his DevOps team, which of course I sent uh, I sent them off. But uh, he wrote in and says that uh, he usually listens at one point seven five speed, and accidentally uh, put us on uh, one time speed, so regular speed. And uh, Cote, he says, your semi-coherent monologues turned into the drunk uncle that he wished he had. So uh, <laughs> he says he highly recommends slowing down the podcast for a good laugh. So I told him this is one of the best emails I've ever gotten on Software Defined Talk, and it would be a great review. And he did. He put it out there so you can actually go see it. It's in the iTunes uh, review section. And then um, for you, Matt Ray, uh, Craig uh, from Slack tells us that uh, Cotton Candy uh, is known as fairy floss oh, in Australia. I, I know. <laughs> oh, you already got that. So you got that. And then uh, you guys already hit the other one. Nathan from Slack told us 
uh, about really one of the best deals I've seen, that Helmo book bundle. I, I did the $15. It's like $15 for like 12 or 15 books. That's so a lot. Get a lot of stuff. So that's, I think it has another week. So thanks for Nathan to point that out. So lots of good stuff happening. And of course, if you just want stickers, just email me at stickers at Software Defined Talk and I will send you some. That's right. I, I, uh, I, I have that. I'm, I'm now two phone Cote and I put a sticker on my work phone. Very, very nice. Fits perfectly. Well, uh, this week, Matt Ray, what do you want to recommend to people besides the humble bundle? Humble bumble bundle bundle. Do you think you italicize <laughs> a bundle of books or is that just not italicized? I don't know. <laughs> well, hopefully someone can write in and tell me if you italicize a bundle of books. I guess you don't italicize library, but uh, I don't know. What do you recommend? Uh, well, you know, I, I did get the Humble Bundle as well. Uh, I'm excited to, you know, some point get through some, some of those books. Uh, I figured, you know, I'll get around to it. It's m- more likely to read it on my Kindle than uh, the PDFs of those things that I've downloaded over the years. Um, but uh, uh, as long as I'm talking about reading, um, you know, Cote, you're, you're in Amsterdam, but uh, hopefully you, uh, you held on to your um, Austin Library login because uh, yeah, they they continue to have just a tremendous am- number of ebooks available, and uh, you know you can have them automatically downloaded to your Kindle. So uh, oh. my pick again, libraries, libraries that do Kindles, not not the 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 ebooks that I have to use my web browser. That that's not useful. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, f- I feel I feel like I'm in this category of stupid where like you've told me over the years, and I know that I could get all these free books from uh, the library and uh well i guess i guess they're not technically free if you're a resident because taxes. you pay taxes but whatever <laughs> you got you got to you got but you know you got this uh you know socialism kindle and like i don't know why don't i use that what's what's my problem very weird uh, yeah good stuff yeah i mean i guess i just have memories of the library being uh you know fuddy duddy and funky oh library's awesome i know i used to spend i was thinking recently i used to spend a lot of my youth as it were, in the library. And uh, I love a library. It smells good in there. <laughs> how, how, about, how about yourself, uh, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Yeah, well, I thought I'd, you know, because there's never enough promotion of ourselves here. I thought I'd, uh, one, I did an interview with uh, you guys, your old friend, Zane Rockenbaugh. So this week, uh, Software Defined Interview. So if you want to hear about Zane and his experience of being a startup CTO and how he helps people take their ideas and turn them into their first uh first versions of their products so make sure to listen to that and then Cote I thought you did a great job you actually uh, put a nice little web page together of all the old uh, software defined talk members only podcasts mm, which are right. all now for free so you everyone should uh, check that out and of course the Heptio episode seems really good so check all that stuff out and then I, my recommendation fairly simple I actually finally installed you know the Nest uh, thermostat here at the at the house and after about a month you know at first i was kind of skeptical but i like it i do think it, it makes me more aware of our energy usage and uh definitely better at like kind of shutting it off when we're not here so if you've uh somehow avoided uh installing uh the nest up to this point i i'd, I'd say go ahead jump on it seems to work pretty well mm. you know we have one of those internet of things things in uh in our amsterdam house and I forget the name of it. It's one of these, you discover this whole array of products that are only available in Europe and, uh, and the UK. I don't know if the UK is part of Europe anymore. I'm very confused about that. <laughs> but that are only available there on the Big Island and uh, the continent. And, 
I, hopefully Nest doesn't have this problem, but like I finally I logged into it because you know of course you want to like schedule your uh, your heat in Amsterdam, and like man the interface is is like almost worse than a uh, one of those big wheel like sprink- yard sprinkler interfaces. It's just like it's inscrutable. Like I feel like if you have a temporal, which is to say time based thing, where you have something that turns on at one time and off at one time. Like, I'm astonished at how much people fuck that up. And, uh, like, this one's got, like, slider bars and things where it's just, like, there should be a very boring p- page that's, like, Monday, turn on at this time, turn off at that time. Would you like to create another window? And, like, that's it. And then, I guess, also with the thermostat, you want to know, uh, during this time period, what temperature would you like it to be? I guess that's only one thing, right? And then I'll make sure it's that temperature. But it's just, like... I don't know. I don't know how people fuck that up. Is the Nest thing intelligent to use? Is it easy? Yeah, I mean, it it um has it so that you can like hook up your uh, you know basically hook your phones to it, right? And say like if you're not here, just turn yourself off, right? And then um mm. so it's that smart. And then it's you know I think you're right. I mean, it is it's something that's it is easy to mess up. Uh, but you know I think it was interesting reading the reviews of like the Nest app. It's like it's pretty simple, right? It's just real. And I think sometimes people are frustrated, but it it is kind of like I think. It's just real simple to turn on and off and then, you know, save your way. So I've, I'm impressed with, like, at least this is the uh, iPhone app. I think it, it does just what you want it, but it's not incredibly impressive. But in this case, I think that's a good thing. It yeah. kind of just gets out of your way. Right? Ho- hopefully there's some sort of, like, uh, UX, as they like to say, uh, principle that sort of, like, the number of options. There should be some formula that's, like, the number of options should be limited by the uh, number of states of a thing, right? So with the thermostat... You have basically like like two states and like one primary thing. It's like on or off, and it has a temperature. And I guess you could say it's hot or cold, but let's just put that aside. I've never really understood why the temperature is different if it's hot versus different if it's cold. But again, never mind. But, you know, it seems like maybe there should only be like four wingding options based on that. I don't know what it is, but there should be a formula. You don't want to complexify too much. Can you tell I'm frustrated by my uh, Internet of Things thermostat <laughs> in the home? So uh, this week, my recommendation, I, I was, uh, I've been using Evernote for this for a little while, but it's, it's a little funky. But do you remember, uh, I'm sure you do, Matt Ray, you remember that readability thing that would just like strip down a web page for you? Oh yeah, still use it. I, I, thought, I thought it was discontinued. Maybe you can send it to me because I found uh, from... Oh, what, what, what I'm using now is push to Kindle. Push. Oh yeah, yeah, I've never understood that. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to fill up my Kindle with my Insta paper, so to speak. But uh, people like that, so good for them. Good for you, Matt Ray. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, but I found I found that there's this thing called a Chrome uh, uh, extension called Mercury Reader, which more or less does the same thing. It has some weird features. If you want to select downward, it seems to want to select the entirety of the page instead of just selecting. I always have a lot of problems with selecting text across every platform. Uh, but, uh, so it does that. And basically what it does is you have a web page. Let's say you might be reading uh, Stephen O'Grady's take on uh, Heptio. And you're like, this is uh, pretty much not a busy web page, but I just want to have the text. You would press your little Mercury Reader button and it magically finds uh, just the part. And maybe you can increase the font size, but not really. It's sort of like Instapaper on demand. But uh, it's nice. It works pretty well. And also, Brandon, you will be excited that it's your uh, friends as a colloquial term on this podcast. But it's your friends at Postlight who make it. They're the ones wow. who, who threw that out Wow, I do like that. There. 
Yeah. Good. Yeah. So we got that. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. This is episode 154. I think we'll call it Singapore Sanka and Tech Ideas. Maybe discussing <laughs> tech ideas with Singapore Sanka. Uh, but if you want to get the show notes for this episode, uh, including news, uh, links to news we did not cover, there's a few interesting things here and there. Uh, you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 154. Now there's also a Slack channel that you should join. I think as, as we say every week, there's a lot more going on in the Slack channel, discussion of news, things like that. It's a good place to hang out. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There's no .co in there, just softwaredefinedtalk.com. And you can find a link in the header to go to Slack. And thanks to uh, NoSSHJJ, you can sign up on your own without having to file a ticket with the admin to give you permission to enter. Uh, and as always, uh, it's nice if you uh, like the show. That's always good to hear. It'd be great if you uh, helped us spread more listeners by telling your friends or uh, maybe writing an iTunes review. I, as, as, as Brandon said, some, there's an AI that cares about that, I guess. I don't really know what that means, an AI. But uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.